and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. After another few weeks of Tory psychodrama, we have a new PM, a new government, and another reset of what conservatism means. Who better to talk us through this latest version of the Tory party than the commentator and former Tory MP, Matthew Paris? Welcome to The Bunker, Matthew. Thank you, Ros. Matthew, your Times column at the weekend urged the party to put a stake through this vampire's heart now, so you must have been relieved when Boris Johnson decided to disappoint his 102 allegedly backers <laughs> and fold on Sunday night. Will they ever learn, do you think? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I don't think the stake is quite through his heart yet. First, the garlic didn't work, and, and then the, the crucifix didn't work. We've now got him in some kind of a coffin, but I, I, I want to see that stake because he's he's still around and he hasn't given up yet. Really? You think there could still be a comeback? He'll try. Oh, oh, he, he'll certainly try. A warning for us all. So you left the party when Johnson took over, I think, but you backed Sunak recently. And a lot of our listeners, I probably feel the same way, feel that the Conservatives have done such an abject job over the past few years that a general election would have been preferable to this effective coronation. Do you worry that the party is burnt out after 12 years in power? And could it benefit from a period in opposition? Or is there still hope for it to turn the corner? All those things are true. The party does have a feeling of burnout about it. Even this new cabinet looks a bit of a collection of figures in some ways from the the past. There's something a little tired looking about it. On On the other hand, I I, I do think that Rishi Sunak is exactly the right person for the circumstances, for the financial crisis that we'll be going through. And it, it is possible that the Conservative Party will get its act together and show that once it concentrates on sound administration, it's still capable of governing. But I think the jury's very much out on that. As for a general election, I don't think this is the moment for a general election, and it never has happened, or hardly ever has happened in the past, that when a new leader of a party becomes, as it were, a, a new prime minister, there has been a, a general election. They, they didn't do that with Gordon Brown, they didn't do that with John Major, and I know that amongst the commentariat, we're saying, oh, everyone wants a general election. I'm not sure that everyone wants a general election, not not just at the moment. We know that Sunak is, as far as the Conservative Party is concerned, a safe pair of hands, but we don't have a sense of who he is and what drives him beyond this desire for fiscal rectitude, if you like. Can you tell us a bit more about Sunak? What's he like one-to-one? What's he like as a person? He's extremely pleasant. I don't think you you feel that you're you're getting to know the man. I think there is actually something very private about him. But he's exceedingly courteous, seems interested in the people that he he talks to, sounds like a nice man. You're listening to him talking with his his daughters or or meeting him with with his wife. You get the impression of a quite a loving family a nice family, a rich family, very, very rich family, but with rather a strong sense of social obligation. All those things I get about him, but do I know him or do any of us know him? I don't think we do. I wonder how interested he is in the rest of policy beyond the financial side. He he understands the the bookkeeping, he understands the financial side, and I think he's going to be very good at it. But how interested is he 
in foreign policy and environmental policy and in home office policy. I'm not saying he's not interested, but I, I have no indication of whether he is or, or not. He's not someone who in his general conversation sort of ranges widely beyond the things that he really knows about. Yes, and that worries me a little, particularly in the context of the cabinet that he's put together, some of whom are familiar from the Johnson and Trust administrations, doesn't have a new feel about it, doesn't even have a particularly competent feel about it. Were you alarmed by the fact that Suella Braverman was reappointed? Oh, yes. I mean, who wouldn't be? <laughs> what, what an appalling, what an appalling person. Well, I don't know what she's like as a person, but as a politician, you know, saying that her dream was to see migrants on a plane to, to Rwanda. What kind of a dream is that? He did need, though, uh, Rishi Sunak did need to find somebody on the right who had some experience of, of cabinet government and who, in a sense, needed him as much as he needed hers. Suella Braverman does not have a huge band of supporters in the parliamentary party, but she is from the right. And without his patronage, I would have said she was more or less finished. So, in a sense, he, 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 he does have somebody there who I think has no interest at all in making life difficult for him. We shall see. Home office destroys everybody, and she may destroy herself within a few months. It's, it's um, profoundly to be hoped that she does. Is it a sign that perhaps he still feels very vulnerable to the right? of his party. I mean, he's, he's not clearly, you know, whether he's a centrist or, or not in, in uh, conservative terms is perhaps up for debate. But doesn't he still feel worried that they make rise up and bring him down again? Well, I, I expect he does. And I think he ought to. It isn't just that he feels a bit insecure with the right. A anybody is insecure with the Tory right who have gone a bit mad in recent years. On the other hand, they have had a huge fright. They've all had a terrible fright. And I think there's a genuine desire, even amongst most on the right, to show unity and, and to pull together. The question is, can he capitalize on that? Can he keep people together? And I, I would say that the remaining few months of, of this year will, will, will show. been sceptical about green policies in the past, or rather the ability to push them through at a time like this when the Treasury and all the departments are under such pressure. And I noticed two of the most green-minded Tories didn't back him originally over the weekend. Alok Sharma backed Johnson to come back, and Zach Goldsmith wanted a, a general election. He's not keen, as we know, on onshore wind, for example. Do you think he gets the public mood on this, which I think is open to a lot more green investment? I think he does get the public mood, but if you you live and your constituency is in North Yorkshire, just on the edge of beautiful national parks, you will have some views about onshore wind turbines, and they'll be the views of most of your constituents as well. I wouldn't try to use as a measure of his commitment to, to green issues what he thinks about the visual impact of wind turbines. We've got wind turbines and we're, we're going to get more and, and that's that. I wonder how much he's really thought about it and whether he so far has thought about it through the prism of cost and through, through the prism of how government can save money. But I think he's an open-minded 
person. And I think when he comes to look at the issue as a prime minister, instead of as a chancellor of the exchequer, I, I, I would not despair of, of, of his being open to, to enlightenment. Perhaps, perhaps I would put it like that. I mean, d- d- Goldsmith is, is, is a maverick figure. And Alak Sharma became so associated with Boris Johnson that I wouldn't see the perhaps skepticism or alienation of those two as any indication that all MPs who are interested in green issues have a prime minister who doesn't care about them. I, I think he probably will. So perhaps his biggest challenge over, well, he's got so many, but the biggest challenge perhaps over the next couple of months is going to be the public sector strikes, most of which including rail and so on, are still unresolved. And we have the possibility of strikes in the NHS and strikes in schools as well. How do you think he's going to try to tackle that? He will be, always has been, very worried about inflation. So he will be hypersensitive to wage inflation. And he will have to take a fairly hard line. Hopefully, he won't take a hard line in a provocative kind of way that just makes things worse. And uh, there are some wage demands that in some measure will need to be satisfied. You notice in Scotland, the rail industry looks as though it, it may be able to reach agreement with the unions. And, and perhaps that might be the case in Britain too. It's very hard to know in the present public mood which side the public will be on. But I don't think the Tories should assume that the public is going to be against the unions and against people who cause difficulty by striking. There's quite a lot of sympathy, especially, of course, always for for nurses. There there always is. But quite a lot of sympathy for other people in the public sector. And the fact is that public sector wages have fallen steadily and a very long way behind in, in recent years. So I think he's going to need to tread carefully. Do you think his vast personal wealth and that of his wife is going to prove a problem as more people struggle over the winter, as we hear more stories of people really going under with no safety net? Is that going to be a vulnerability? I don't think it's as big a vulnerability as some people in the press suppose. Everybody knows that he's very wealthy. Most people, I think, would think that if, if he proves a good prime minister, then his personal wealth is is irrelevant. Some people might even see his personal wealth as a sign of intelligence and talent on, on his own part. I, I think what we can be sure of is that there will be a constant wailing Greek chorus of particularly people involved in politics going on and on about his wealth. The Labour Party will obviously have to do that and, and will do that, but I'm just not really sure that it will strike much of a accord with, with the public. Just from the point of view of whether great wealth does cut you off from the sufferings of, of much poorer people, my own view is that someone living in a semi-detached house in Bromley or a perfectly pleasant suburb anywhere in Britain is as far from those at the bottom of the heap, those who really are wondering how they're going to pay their their energy bills, those who do worry where the next meal is coming from, is as far from those people as, as, as somebody with a yacht. And somebody with a yacht isn't all that far from somebody in a, in a perfectly nice suburban house with a, with a garden. The, the big difference is actually between the top and middle on the one hand 
and people who are really struggling at the bottom. How do you think he'll surprise us over the next few months in the things that he does? Will will he pull something out that we're not expecting? Will we see a side of Rishi Sunak that hitherto, as you say, he's quite a private man, has been hidden? I don't think we will. I think he'll continue to be quite a private man. I think his instincts are all on the side of prudence and caution. And I don't think the word surprise is is one to which he would particularly warm. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't surprise us at all, but but just plods on in in uh, an intelligent and, and grown-up kind of way pouring over the figures of the national finances. I'm not sure I'm not sure we're in a mood to be surprised any longer. Liz Trust certainly surprised us and, and look how that worked out. Indeed. <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us too. If you'd like to support the bunker, you can do so by going to Patreon Bunker Podcast and contributing as little as three pounds a month if you can. Join us tomorrow for another bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. The Banker Daily was written and presented by Roz Taylor. The producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelena Sofronievich and Alex Reese, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>